Hello and welcome to this At Any Rate podcast. I am Arindam Sandelia from JP Morgan's Global FX Strategy Team. I'm joined today by my colleagues James Nelligan in London and Patrick Locke in New York. Guys, welcome. Now, it's been an eventful week in macro markets, to say the least, with rates up across the board and the dollar broadly higher against most currencies. It's been barely three weeks into the new year and many of the year ahead 2024 outlook themes uh, that the consensus was talking about already seems to be coming under some stern examination. For example, first week of the year, we saw a Japan earthquake that undermined a high conviction favored macro trade in the form of bearish uh, uh, Japan rates and effects. Uh, this week, we saw curveballs coming in the form of a smattering of upside surprises in uh, DMCPIs uh, in the likes of Canada, Sweden, and the UK. We are hearing news of shipping disrupt- disruptions that are raising the specter of uh, goods disinflation coming in for a bumpy ride. Now, all of this, of course, is being filtered through the lens of what is the appropriate amount of uh, easing expectations to price into OIS curves. And nowhere is that question uh, more salient for nearly all asset markets than for the Fed and US rates. So maybe uh, let's start this podcast there. Uh, Pat, uh, starting with you, you are stateside. All eyes in markets are squarely on the Fed and Fed expectations. Uh, So what did you make of uh, the US data flow this week? We got uh, a fairly punchy retail sales print, uh, some interesting comments from Governor Waller. Uh, and generally, what do you make of this uh, rates backup? Do you think we have the makings here for a continued backup higher in the dollar? Yeah, thanks, Arindam. Um, so I guess just to kind of scene set a little bit. Um, so by the time I left the office, you know, last Friday, markets were basically pricing full 25s and risk premium for 50s across four different FOMC meetings uh, for this year, basically between May and September. So clearly, I think, you know, the market's pretty fully internalized at the run rate of things like core PCE are bang on target levels. Uh, But it hasn't really seemed to me like the totality of the data has really supported something quite that aggressive. Um, So our bias was basically that that was stretched and that any pairing back of that pricing should naturally boost the dollar, especially since it's been trading closely with, you know, outright rates anyway in, in recent months. And so to answer your question, I think, you know, the developments this week were consistent with that bias to fade. Um, Waller, as you mentioned, effectively endorsed cuts, but used terms like, you know, methodical and careful, which to me don't feel quite consistent, you know, with the risk of 50 basis points that were getting priced. And then, you know, retail sales and claims both came in strong, which again, in the context of totality of the data, it doesn't really strike me as quite consistent with, you know, for example, easing as early as March. Um, granted, there's still two months that's still two months away and and things can happen in between but you know depricing some of that pretty aggressive fed strip this week i think is intuitive uh and so it wasn't surprising to see the dollar do pretty well this week too um you know dollar upside from here i i do think is plausible for one because i think you know uh this kind of low-grade u.s exceptionalism is still intact it was on display this week not just via kind of like the u.s data channel, but also um, by, you know, relatively underwhelming rest of world data, particularly out of China. Um, For example, you know, the gap between economic surprises between uh, those two economies is once again at pretty elevated levels uh, compared to past history. Uh, So you don't really obviously have that global dynamic that we we tend to think you need uh, for kind of that multi-quarter dollar weakness. Uh, But from a tactical standpoint, I'd also note then that the dollar strength um, this week has kind of overshot a couple of our shorter term uh, rates based short term fair value models, 
Um, so that could present something of a modest headwind, I think, in the near term sense or from the present for, or from the perspective of, you know, entry levels. Um, end of the day, though, I'd say the dollar performance to start the year is actually pretty consistent uh, with how we've been thinking about the risks uh, coming in from kind of the late December levels into January. Understood. Uh you know, I think what you mentioned about uh, the Fed and rates price action versus the dollar, uh, that's clearly one very important part of the dollar story. But uh, you know, sitting outside the U.S. feels to me like uh, in conversations with clients, uh, there is disproportionate focus on that part of the story without talking about the non-U.S. side, which, at least to my mind, is uh, equally important because at the end of the day, uh, this is FX we're talking about. It is a rate differential story. And yes, there is sympathetic repricing across most markets when US rates move. Uh, but I think the fact remains that there is a stark difference in initial conditions between the US and many other G7 rate curves. So when you adjust, uh, I think, uh, the shapes of uh, forward OIS curves for the quantum of disinflation that the consensus seems to be expecting, just looking at end 2024 consensus forecast on Bloomberg, um, you know, it is the case right now that uh, the Fed is already very well priced to the point of excess. And you could argue that at a, at a lower level, even the ECB is, is somewhat maturely priced. But there are a number of names within the, the G7 world where in order for those rate curve shapes to be consistent with a global disinflation narrative, you do need more inversion in those curves. Uh, if disinflation is not the narrative, uh, then we'll likely get convergence from the other side. Probably that convergence with the U.S. catching up to where the other uh, rate curves are is going to be a little more volatile, a little more high octane dollar strength than what you've seen so far. But uh, on the whole, I feel like the differential story is yet another piece of the dollar puzzle that's probably underappreciated and could keep this, this backup going for maybe longer than what the consensus feels. Uh, but just coming back to that inflation piece, um, you know, we've seen uh, some upside surprises uh, in G7. Uh, Canada is one of those countries, your country. Uh, Pat, uh, tell me what's happening there. If you were in the BOC's shoes, uh, does this upside in CPI for two months in a spring now have meaningful implications for the FX? And also, we have a BOC next week, so if you could uh, touch upon your comments on, on what you expect there for next week. Yeah, sure. So I'd say kind of the, the inflationary trends in Canada have been discouraging, especially kind of the last couple months. I mean, this week, uh, you know, the year over year um, and the month over month headline numbers came in pretty much in line with expectations of the year over year was up. Um, but more importantly, kind of the, the preferred BOC core measures uh, both surprised meaningly on the order of two to three ticks uh, relative to consensus. So it seems like some of their disinflationary progress that they had achieved through the first half uh, of last year has been stalling out. Um, similarly, looking across some of the wages data in Canada, um, like in the basic kind of standard payrolls wages release, we actually hit cycle highs uh, in the latest print. So I think from like a holistic disinflationary sense, um, it's hard to it's hard to argue that the BOC has seen, has seen really kind of sufficient progress uh, to make kind of more of like a Fed style December pivot at its upcoming meeting. Um, you know, coming into this year, uh, we thought there was upside risk to dollar CAD um, through a couple of channels. First, uh, you know, locally in Canada, we maintain that, you know, the cyclical on the ground story is relatively weak. You've seen that in kind of flat payrolls, uh, weak Canadian PMIs recently. And then structurally, there's the headwind, obviously, of much higher household debt relative to the U.S. And, um, 
you know, coupled with what was obviously quite strong data in the U.S. at the at towards the end of last year, you know, that to me suggested that the skew of risk was that, um, you know, Canadian growth rolls over a little bit more quickly. Um, that drags on, you know, inflation as well. So you get more disinflationary momentum. Uh, U.S. and the Fed stay resolute, um, in which case maybe the BOC were to go, you know, materially ahead of the Fed uh, in the first half of this year. Obviously, that's been challenged, I think, by a two angles. First, the early Fed pivot in December, but second, kind of this uh, stubborn disinflationary dynamic that I just talked about um, from the last, call it, you know, month or two months of, of data. So I think realistically coming into the BOC meeting next week, then that kind of suggests that uh, the BOC is probably going to play this relatively conservatively. Uh, I, th- I do think they're obviously very closely watching kind of the growth dynamics, but um, at the end of the day, uh, inflation is ultimately paramount uh, from kind of the mandate side of things. Um, and so I just don't think there's sufficient evidence yet for them to kind of really uh, discuss kind of concrete plans for easing. So I think market generally accepts that as well. I think there's about a 15% um, probability priced in for a cut um, in March at this point. Um, so not suggesting that much is going to happen, you know, this week. But on the other hand, uh, if the BOC does get a little bit spooked by maybe some of the activity data, you know, the, the, the risk scenarios around the BOC meeting is that, you know, is for CAD weakness. So um, I think realistically at this juncture, um, you know, I think it should it go, it should go relatively straightforwardly, I think, from the FX perspective next week. Understood. Uh, James, just uh, turning to you now uh, for European currencies, uh, you know, a fair amount of action there, just speaking to uh, investors, it feels like, um, you know, the euro, sterling, Swiss in particular, these are all currencies in uh, in fairly high focus. So just give us a bit of a rundown of uh, uh, FX developments in your space, uh, very curious about why the sterling is so resilient amid what looks to me like a bit of a stagflation light data flow. We got soft retail sales versus an upside on inflation this week. And then on Swiss, where uh, there seems to be a bit of investor FOMO, is there not, about uh, being short the currency? Um, and I'm just curious to hear about both of those. Do you think uh, both of those trends uh, continue? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Arindam. So, yeah, as you say, sterling continues to trade kind of more, more resiliently than, than we think it should do. Um, you have had... Kind of positive data surprises in in general, uh, particularly on some of the the growth surveys. Um, despite the still the chance of technical recession after the the negative Q uh, three GDP print, but uh, this week, of course, we got that sticky CPI print in in the UK. But but it wasn't very broad based, and and the breakdown does suggest that we probably see a resumption of uh, disinflation next month. And that's really the key key for sterling. Yeah, arguably the growth box is is already ticked. You know, growth is already weak enough for the Bank of England to cut. It's all about uh, whether and, and how fast inflation and wage growth uh, normalize. Um, and you've seen that retail sales print today in the UK, uh, you know, as weak as it was, uh, you have to kind of question how sustainable any kind of domestic services inflation is if you're getting retail sales prints like that. Um, and obviously that's what uh, the Bank of England is so focused on, the uh, domestically services uh, side of inflation. Um, so we're, we're still uh, bearish sterling, but we're, we're being a bit more tactical about the view. Um, Euro sterling screening, quite cheap to rate spread, implied fair value up at above uh, 87 
Uh, so we're, we're quite keen to see uh, next month's inflation print in the UK and that that potentially getting us a bit closer to the market thinking about a dovish shift from the, from the Bank of England. Um, and, and we think it's really 2025 pricing that, that matters more uh, rather than kind of when the first cut is. Um, we think that's that's where there's there's more easing to bake in for the UK relative to other markets in 2025 if uh, inflation starts to play ball again. Um, so overall, we think there's there's plenty more than enough to to hang a bearish sterling view on. The the only question is is timing really. Um, on Swiss, uh, we we put out a standalone note last week, uh, just showing Euro Swiss screening uh, over four percent cheap to fair value after you, uh, seasonality and and rate spreads in December drove some some really quite sharp moves in the currency. And uh, over the short term, we did say we we could see some uh, snap back towards fair value, and that seems to be what's playing out. But we don't think it's anything more than that. Uh, you know, we've seen this many times. You know, on the way to where we are now, um, and medium term, the the bullish Swiss drivers are still still very much in play. You know, weak regional growth, weak global global growth, the positive flow picture, even if the S and B moderate buying, um, and of course, uh, purchasing power parity. Yeah, no, that that all makes sense. I was remarking to a to a client today that uh, trying to sell Swiss is like trying to stand in front of a moving plane that's been moving upwards. That chart is trending upwards for the last fifteen years, and it takes uh, you know a certain amount of uh, bravery to stand in the way of that. But just uh, looking forward to, to next week, uh, we got we get ECB, we get uh, Norges Bank. Do you think either of those are going to be impactful for currencies? Yeah, I'd say uh, no. They're probably going to be uh, among the the less eventful we've seen. Uh, for the ECB, we don't get any uh, new forecasts. Our uh, European economists aren't aren't expecting uh, to learn a whole not a lot new from from the meeting itself. And so, for euro dollar, the market will probably be quite constrained because obviously you have the the Fed the week after, so it will be hard for investors to build up large new positions uh, over the past week or so that we have seen pushback from ecb speakers like schnabel pushback on uh, on market pricing for for earlier cuts and so at uh, the press conference at the meeting next week will be interesting just to see how how far lagarde uh, chooses to take that angle uh she'll probably reinforce that that march or april are unlikely at this stage um ecb is of course very data dependent still here though and we do get the flash PMIs uh, the day before the meeting, which uh, we have been saying are, are probably more important for the euro than uh, the ECB itself. Uh, euro dollar now screening slightly cheap to 110 fair value and uh, growth is really the missing ingredient. Uh, the PMIs have, of course, stabilized, but I'd say we still don't really see that engine of sustainable growth upside in Europe. Um, and that's what's keeping us bearish on the euro, mainly via uh, using it as a funder for Norges Bank, uh, the meeting next week again. Yeah, we we don't see much change. Um, no change on the policy rate. No no major surprises in the guidance or forecasts. Um, our Scandi economist expects a pretty uneventful meeting. Not not much new signal, and uh, so Noki shouldn't react too much. Um, if if we did get a new rate path, it would it would lower it would be lowered by around one cut. Uh, but it's it's probably going to be counterproductive for Norges Bank to be uh, to make too much of a dovish pivot here, given uh, the focus on the currency. And uh, of course, after December's hike was a, a real surprise with only uh, one basis point priced into the meeting. So uh, that does suggest they're very focused on the currency here. Uh, ourselves, we're, we're still we're still bearish Noki. Um, 
you've got that domestic growth catch down story terms of trade doesn't look very inspiring um and just on on fair value as well with fair value up at 11.51 for Euronoki. finally turning to you arindam uh, any thoughts on uh, the boj meeting next week uh, yeah james uh, we think uh, the focus will be on any language changes in the accompanying statement People will watch for Ueda's tone at the press conference, uh, just trying to get a handle on uh, on just how quickly uh, the BOJ is looking to uh, adjust its negative rate policy. But I don't think we're going to get any concrete information on that uh, next week. And that's unlikely to cause much of a yen move stronger, which is what I think most macro investors would like to see. Uh, but the, uh, the fly in the ointment for the yen is you have a sluggish BOJ, you have uh, this backup in US rate story on the one side that's driven this big move up in dollar yen since the start of the year. But on the other hand, uh, starting today, we, we've just gotten uh, the first semblance of official discomfort with the level of dollar yen. Um, MOF is telling us that they're watching the currency closely. So I think the dollar yen for now is sandwiched between you know these two effects and probably this now 147 to 150 kind of range is where it uh, will trade for the next uh, several weeks. So let's leave it there for today. Uh, with that, we come to the end of this podcast. Thanks very much for listening in. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2024 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on January 19th, 2024.